going on, everybody? Today we have a very special guest, a man who was uh, not only a player, but now is a head coach at North Carolina Central University, player, now head coach of the basketball program, and also founder, you see the hoodie, of the Vail Cares Foundation, Mr. Lavelle, Mona Philanthropist as well. Lavelle, how you doing today, coach? I'm good, man. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. So, first of all, we love in the hoodie. We love marketing and branding. So exactly, got to <laughs> show that thing off. Daughter, like this is this is my daughter. Oh, so she, that's awesome. That's yeah, cool. so I had a like you know on a different logo when I was when I, when it first started, and now she's older. But her trademark has always been the two puffballs. So. Uh -oh. We just created it to that, so she's excited about that. Now that she's older, does she still wear? Does she still wear the two puff balls, or she she moved? Sometimes she hitting the phase where she's a big girl. She's a quote unquote <laughs> big girl now. So yeah, right. yeah. she she one puff now. She don't. She don't <laughs> one, one. With baby coming <laughs> down the side. And all. Right, gotta get gotta hit her with a little toothbrush and the stuff and get them get the swoop right. There you go. <laughs> There you go. So that's my baby, though. That's cute. So last year, Lavelle, we got to ask you, last year in 2019, you and the team made school history by making the NCAA tournament for three consecutive years in a row and winning the MEAC for three consecutive years in a row. Without giving away, you know, your secret sauce, what has been your key to sustained success at Central? Um... You know, that's an interesting question because so many people want you to do like basketball clinics and X and O clinics and things like that. And, you know, thinking you got a secret recipe to this offensive or defensive. <laughs> like, I don't know. It becomes like a trending topic because everybody want to pluck from that tree. Right. But the main thing is I have great people around me. And I think that's super, super important in whatever you want to do in life. Your friends, your wife or husband, um, your family, a basketball team, any Fortune 500 company. Like, it's the simple things that get often overlooked, right? Because we're searching for these complexities. And like, no, nah, oftentimes God has already given you everything that you need. You just got to utilize it. So I just try to make sure I have great people around me, whether it's my, obviously the team, um, in the necessary character, but my coaches and my trainers and even my managers, like everyone has to have shared values. And that's the only way that it, that it works because when you're faced with adversity, you're going to rely on those principles and those core values. And that's what you revert back to. And so we've been fortunate to have great people around and everybody buys in for one common accord. And, you know, anytime somebody tries to break away from that, we reel them back in because that's a non-negotiable for us. Period. Non-negotiable. Exactly. You got to have the right people around you, like you said, that care about the same thing and ultimately want to accomplish the same goals as you and believe in the same things as you. And you were talking about, you know, being surrounded by great people. Well, some great people have sung your praises, some coaching leg legends across multiple sports, talking about Coach K, um, Roy Williams, John Calipari, even Mike Tomlin, you know, head coach of the Steelers, they've all talked about how great you have been, how much success, you know, you have um, you have um, gotten on your, on your belt now. And so all these guys, you know, have leaving or have la um, left their legacies on their organization. So my question for you is, what do you want your legacy um, to be and what do you want to leave behind for this organization? I, I, that's a great question. And it's, it's humbling when you when you speak on it like that, because it's they are a bunch of Hall of Famers. And oftentimes, I, I think the difference between me, like my grandmother told me something when I was 10 years old, right? Like I won a Pepsi hotshot competition. And <laughs> was, I was crowned like the best shooter in the world. And when I came back from shooting at an NBA game, like my, my hood, they had a parade for me. Like it was a big wow. thing. I, that was a big deal, right? So I was 10, right? And so I told my grandma and my mom, I said, I'm going to, like, get us out of the hood. And I said, I'm going to use basketball to do it. And I'm going to buy you this nice house and this fancy car. She looked me directly in my face and she said, um, if people remember you as a basketball player, then you've done a poor job of living. 
and mm. that stuck with me since I was 10. So that is deep. Wow. You follow what I'm saying? And so yeah. now I'm like, the accolades, they that's great. Like it's yeah. championships never get old, right? But at the end of the day, on your obituary, nobody's gonna put or should put how many championships you want. You follow what yeah. I'm saying? It should be about how you affected and impacted people. And so I just kind of want the world to be a better place because I was here. And for somebody to say, like, yo, this dude gave his heart and soul to help other people. He mm -hmm. was a blessing to be a blessing to others. And I think if that's my legacy, then I'm I'm great with that. That's awesome. So now that you jumped into that, talking about, you know, making sure you do stuff off of the court as well. I want to kind of touch on, you know, I, I we, we went through your Twitter when we were doing research for this interview, and I saw the pinned tweet that you had at the top of your thing about the letter you wrote to yourself, you know, going through that situation you had, you know, with some, you know, nasty police officers and how you really, how you not only, how you handled that situation as such a professional, but how you helped, um, uh, now, of course, the the player who was in the car with you escapes my name. Um, Raymond Felton. Hey, Raymond Felton, exactly. Thank you. So how, you know, helped him out too. You know, he was just entering the draft and you didn't want that whole, you know, situation to go out because obviously you could have went real public with that, the way those officers treated you um, and how they flipped the switch real quick after they found out who you were. So just, you know, talk about that and talk about, you know, how you had the wherewithal. You know, a lot of people, they would have done, they would have handled that situation a lot differently. So talk about just how you had the wherewithal to deal with that situation the way you did and how you were even, you know, not only thinking about, you know, how you're going to handle the situation, but how you would help Raymond in, in that situation as well. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, you know, uh, you want to become an expert on a lot of things in life, but you don't want to become an expert on dealing with police brutality. You right. follow what I'm saying? And so, right. unfortunately, the, the reality is the situation in the neighborhood in which I come from, that was, that was convenient. That's what it was. We were targeted. We were marginalized. Um, and that's what it was during my upbringing. And, you know, I hate to say this, but it's just the, it's just the truth. Like, I, I know it's, it's just the truth. And I always tell my white friends, like, the difference between you guys that your introduction to the police was completely different from my introduction to the police. Mm -hmm. I come from a place that was a, without, <laughs> without, giving anybody up or whatever. Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to just use words. There yeah. was a time where my godfather and my uncles was like really well known in my hood, right? Mm -hmm. And they were probably well known for some great things, but not so great. Sometimes not so great things, if you understand what I'm saying. This was the inception of crack cocaine and people was living how they was living. Mm -hmm. Well, one Friday, I'm playing basketball with them. I'm probably 11, 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And we're playing at the court. And the cars continue to circle, the cop cars circling around the block. And one of the OGs on my court said, hold on, y'all. He stopped, he took the ball, and he yelled to the police. He said, yo, y'all stop swirling this block. Didn't I tell y'all I'll pay y'all when I'm done hooping? Wow. Right. That's crazy. Right? And so instantly I'm like, and the cop just went over there and parked. It was a Friday. He was just waiting for him to stop hooping so he can go pants. Right, and so he had him on the payroll. You know what I'm saying for whatever business that he had. So exactly. This affects you as a child. It just instantly affects you because you already understand that your know, life is it's not peaches and cream. It's not Smokey the Bear coming to this classroom. I don't live in those situations and circumstances. And so to to kind of go into your question, um, I'm in seventh grade. Mm. The governor's mansion was probably like three blocks away from my hood, right? And so yeah. it's like, it just dipped. It went from paradise to poverty instantly like that. Yeah. So I always went to the, to the upscale neighborhoods to sell magazine subscriptions to raise money for my AAU trips because my mother couldn't afford to fund it. Right. And so I would go to these neighborhoods and sell magazine subscriptions. And this particular day, I'm coming back. I got my money. I'm counting it. Mm -hmm. And... But the dope dealers and the drug dealers around my way had always taught me, look, when you have money, don't keep it all in one spot. So I kept some in my jeans. I kept some in my sock. I kept some in the bottom of my shoe in case somebody robbed you. If right. they take something, they ain't got it all. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And so you can still keep your life out, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so 
this particular day, I'm walking back and the cop is walking parallel, but he's driving while I'm walking and his car is parallel to mine. And he was like, I'm counting my money. He's like, boy, where you get that money from? And oh, then, you know, boy, right. you know, it's a respectful term you can never use, right? So I'm I'm a hothead at 12, right? I'm like, right. My face. So I kept walking mm. and he pulls up and he cuts, he cuts me off. And he gets out the car. He said, boy, I said, where you get that money from? He make me spread ego in the car. He's reaching into my pockets. And I told him I was selling magazines from the projects, telling a cop that I got this money from selling magazine subscriptions. Yeah. That's like an oxymoron. That don't even add up. So he reached in my pocket and he took my money. And I just went home and I was crying. But the crazy thing is I wasn't crying because he took my because he violated I was crying because he took the money and we had an AAU game that, that weekend and I thought I couldn't go on the trip to play ball. You follow what I'm saying? So that was just, I wasn't even worried about the violation. I was more worried about like, how am I going to get to this trip because I worked so hard. You know, my mom can't afford this. And so you you have these lessons and you have these experiences and we all are some total of our life experiences and you just grow up. So you, you see things, life is about perspective, right? It's, mm-hmm. it ain't what you see is how you see it. And then what you see is what you get. Right. So I just saw it from a different perspective. So that, that story you're talking about, um, I think it was 2005. Yeah. And, yeah. um, I'm driving now, you know, I, I'm, I'm a grown man. I established myself, you know, pretty much. I'm a high school coach. I'm training NBA guys. I'm right. a single man. I'm living my life. And I have a Yukon Denali with rims. And it, it's that era. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's that era. They, they won't spin him, but it was that era. Who's so, you, Drew? You had, you had the yeah. spinners on it too? You had the spinners? Well, I, I ain't do the spinners. I couldn't get with the spinners. Like, Yo, that's going to fade out real fast. But it was it was 22s on there. And, you know, I kept yeah. it clean, all that type of stuff, right? So, I'm, I'm driving and I'm on the phone with my mom and Raymond is in, in the truck with me. And for your listeners who may not be familiar with Raymond, mm-hmm. Raymond was a McDonald's All-American in high school. He was the uh, point guard of the national championship team at, at North Carolina the year that they won it. That was 2005. And he went on to have like a 12, 13 year NBA career. He's the godfather of my kids. So him and I are really close. Oh, nice. So I'm coming, I'm coming um, from the YMCA, which is probably four blocks away from my old housing project and I see a cop in the rear view and he's following me. He's following me for like five minutes, but I'm on the phone with my mom. So I already know what he's doing. He's running my plates. He's, you know what I'm saying? He just making up a reason to eventually pull me. Um, And Raymond is in the passenger seat. Now my windows are kind of tinted or whatever. And so I say, Ma, I'll call you back. This guy's about to pull me. I know it. She she said, no, you stay on the phone. I said, no, I'll call you back. And so by the time I say that to her, I see the lights. Mm -hmm. He comes. He, he gets out his car, and next thing you know, he just yanks me out my car. He runs up, he yanks me out my car, him and his partner. Now, his partner got a gun to my head while this guy's yanking me out my right. car. So he's kicking my ankles and telling me to spread ankle and so on and so forth. And he ain't asked for driver's license registration. N- none of the basic, none of the fundamental principles of law enforcement in a, in a when you pull someone. It was just straight zero to 100. And my mom is screaming through the phone, obviously. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it was like a really weird incident. And he's asking me to spread eagle. And he's asking me to search the car because he's like, you dope boy. I know you're a dope boy. And that Man, ain't no dope boy, right? You know what I'm saying? I ain't never sold no dope, done no dope. None of, nothing dope about me except for me. You know what I'm like, and so he's continuously kicking me, um, kicking my ankles. And so now I'm getting frustrated, man, because this dude is really assaulting me, right? But every time I turn around, his partner got his gun to my head, right? And this is the first time I ever had a gun to my head, and that just, like, shook me up. So my mom is screaming, like, Bill, be quiet, don't say nothing, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So eventually they take me to the back of my truck. It's raining outside, and I got on all-white. Me and Ray is going to an all-white party. Y'all remember all-white party. We're going to an all-white party. He slammed me down on the curb and make me sit there. Right, but each time he's talking to me, he's legitimately stepping into puddles so he can kick mud on me to try to humiliate. Me. You follow what I'm saying? Like it's, yeah. and so he asked me, "Can I? Can he search the car?" I said, "No, you can't search my car." You know what I'm saying? And because I knew my rights and all of those things, so by now he done called backup. His partner done drove up on the curve, and he's missing me by like this. It's, it's almost like his partner drove up trying to run me over, but he just threw on brakes with the high beam lights and so on and so forth. And to make a long story short. They still don't know Ray is in the car, right? They never went to his side of the car. They just came to me and went crazy and jerked me out. Right. And 
So his partner pulls up, and his partner has a, a partner with him, and they go huddle up, and I know they're talking about me because they're, they're huddled up and they're looking back and forth, and one of the guys walk over, he said, man, what's your name? And I said, Lavelle Moe. And he walked back, he said, I told them they were, that, that was Lavelle. So he go back and they huddle up, and the original guy that pulled me, he come and he said, man, I'm sorry, um, you just fit the description of a call. He said, man, um, you know, I don't want you thinking I'm a butthole. He didn't say butthole, but y'all get what I'm saying. And I was like, no, it's too late. I think you a butthole. You follow what I'm saying? And so by this time, my mom is still screaming and Ray is telling her to calm down. So they now they run up to Ray's side and they was like, yo, this Raymond Felton, man. So eventually they let us go and right. they drove off. And I sat on that curb because it was the first time I ever felt um, less than a man at the hands of another man. Right. You know, like it was the, and I, it felt like the stories my grandfather used to tell me. And my great uncles used to tell me and how white people used to treat them and call them boy and just make them feel so less than. And at that moment, I was sitting on that curve and I was, I was like crying, man, because I was humiliated. I was embarrassed. You know, I was disappointed in myself because I just wasn't raised like that. And it was, it was crazy, man. So I, I got PTSD about that to this day. So when the George Floyd incident started happening and right. you know, Ahmaud Arbery's and the list goes on and on. I decided to share that story on Twitter because I knew it would help someone else. And I never said anything because two months later, Ray was going to get drafted in the NBA draft. And I didn't want anyone um, or, or anything to jeopardize his financial situation because he ended up being a top five pick. That was life-changing right. generational money for him. Right. So I didn't want to share my story then. And then they questioned you know, his character and all this stuff, like mm -hmm. what they do. And now he dropped from five to 25, because that's a difference in $12 million right there. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So I just, I just kept it the best out of my love for him. And I just held on to it and decided to share it. And then it just went, went crazy from there. Wow. So is that something you, even though you didn't share it publicly, is that something you share with your, um, with your, um, like the team, just, you know, in case they were in a situation, a similar situation, or, you know, they might be carrying something heavy at practice, especially with, the whole situation we went through this summer. Yeah, you, you know what? Like the way I was a teacher before I was a coach. And I think that's the one thing that helped me so much because when you're teaching, you're genuinely concerned about developing the totality mm -hmm. of that individual, right? Yeah. Most coaches on the collegiate level, they just got into it to be honest, coach and make money and stay close to the game. Yeah. Right? My my situation was completely different. I started as a middle school teacher making two hundred twenty a middle school coach making two hundred and twenty-five dollars a month for three months. So I made six hundred and seventy-five dollars a year. And then afterwards the principal was like, yo, you need to, these kids love you. I like, man, I ain't teaching nobody. I don't know how to teach. <laughs> so I don't want my karma coming back up. I was like, nah. She's like, no, it'll be, it'll be good. You got a curriculum and I, I was scared to death. So I started doing it. I started loving it because I saw the lives I was impacting. Mm -hmm. And so then I just wanted to reach out and touch the kids that was in my hood, like John Wall and Dez Wells and PJ Tucker and Devontae Grant. All of these dudes are from my hood, right? right? And so they look at me like a big brother and unk and they was coming to my basketball camp. So I was like, I don't want nothing from you. I just don't want you to be a, a casualty of these streets. So I do, to answer your question, I do that same thing at North Carolina Central. And I didn't necessarily say it was my story, but I just kind of prepared them. We do role play. You know what I'm saying? Where right. in case you are pulled by the cops, I tell them, look, you got one, you got, you got one job to mm -hmm. make it back home. Don't be a tough guy. Don't say anything back because it's people that, that did the right things and they ain't make it back. So mm -hmm. let's not give them any built in excuse to kill us in the street. And then they go back and, and say, well, when he was in seventh grade, he had an argument with his girlfriend. You know how they dig up something in the past. Exactly. Exactly. Now that's who you are. And so I, that's part of what I do at North Carolina Central that I feel like is, is just bigger than basketball. And ultimately, I just think that's the ultimate blessing. So just talking about that real quick, before we get into basketball, I kind of want to go ahead and touch on this. So with, with you know, your whole story and that happening, is that kind of where the Bill cares is that where that thought process kind of jumped into your mind then or was that something still later down the road kind of just my circumstances um you know i've always been i grew up in some humble beginnings but 
And when you go through those humble beginnings, a lot of, they teach you that you gotta be really, really tough, right? And you gotta be tough and strong to, to survive. And oftentimes our conflict resolution was fighting, <laughs> right? Like you say something, we gotta fight and then- hey, Tom square up. Yeah, we, we gotta just square up and then we work it out from there. We gonna throw these right. <laughs> So as a young man, you like, yo, everybody can't be out here fighting and fighting and fighting and hurting each other. And so I was always to do, I was raised by my grandmother, God rest her soul, and I don't care the biggest and baddest guys of the neighborhood, if they got in a fight, she was the woman that could just come on her porch and say, y'all, Nathaniel, y'all stop that. She'll call him by his whole name. <laughs> now, we, we called them gunplay, but she yeah. called him Nathaniel. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, ma'am, he'll, he'll obey all her orders. And so she was deeply spiritual, and I spent so much time with her that she would give her last to any and everybody in the in the hood. And I became that person. I saw her do that. And it's, it's, it's my spirit. It's my soul. And it's like everything that I inherited from her. And so through those circumstances, it was like, I want to be able to help single mothers through my foundation. I want to be able to help, you know, people who going back to school, not only with book bags, but school supplies and haircuts, because that's something my mother really couldn't afford. Like you, right. you could look fresh for a day, but after that, now it's back mm -hmm. to the hand-me-downs. And I was the baby, you know what I'm saying? You know how it is, kids crew, they they gonna trash you and, and roast you about your gear and so on and so forth. Right. So you don't even wanna go to school and learn. So I was like, I'm, uh, that's the mindset that I come from. Like if I can eliminate all of those pressures from the outside world and get these people to just focus on living life and life would be easier where we can kind of eradicate intergenerational poverty. So I'm working on a STEM center right now, right? So I got a STEM center, science, technology, engineering, arts, math, and music, where we're going to put that, you know, in our hood. And so kind of build a pipeline from here to Research Triangle Park, which is 20 minutes up the street. It's kind of like the Silicon Valley of the yeah. South, but I was like, yo, this, every kid don't have to rap or shoot a basketball or run a football right. to get out. Like you can, you can use this. You love hip hop, hip hop is STEM. It's two turntables right. and a microphone. That's STEM, but our kids don't understand that. Right. And so you can be in the music business, but you don't necessarily have to be the rapper, right? right. David Banner, yeah, engineer, engineer, whatever, you know. he told me something and it just, it just messed my head up. He was like, cause he does so much. He scores commercials and all of this thing. He said, Bill, our kids need to understand that every time they hear a sound, someone got paid off of that sound. And I was like, oh, he said, so now if they can create the sound, they can get paid. I don't care if it's a car chirp or alarm or ringtone, whatever it may be. Right. Like, that's a profitable, you know, vocation that could potentially come. So that's some of the things that we're doing through our foundation, but it really started because I come from humble beginnings and I understand firsthand the experience of the people that's still in that community. That's awesome for sure. So let's switch over and talk about the HBCU universe for a minute, because obviously, you know, you've been an influential man in the HBCU landscape for a while. So we got to get your opinion on something else. So back in the summer, earlier in the summer, you said McCormaker maker going to Howard was going to start a culture shift for HBCUs. Then later we saw Deion Sanders, even though, you know, he's in football. How do you think that's going to affect HBCUs in the long run? Deion making that move to go to Jackson State. I, I think, you know, the first thing is it brings attention and notoriety, right, mm -hmm. to the HBCU landscape, right? And I just think right now the more the merrier. Um, like you under, when people think of this shirt, right, the first thing they think is, Okay, it's a sweatshirt and it's a hoodie, but just the color, it directly relates it to breast cancer, right? right? Because over the years, it's garnered so much attention, mm -hmm. you know, to breast cancer. And that's what we need right. at HBCUs. And if you want me to be completely honest with you, that's what we need as our people. We've lost our way. Like, we don't, we don't, we've given ourselves away for free for so long. That's true. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Right. Like we've yeah. given ourselves away from free, and I'm like, yo, like, it's hard. To, it's hard to kind of convince other people, like, yo, you don't see this. I know. Right here. <laughs> away for free. Like, I don't know if y'all watch this show called Unsung. Y'all watch Unsung? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Okay. Well, it's a show called Unsung where it, it showcases former musicians or musicians that we all love, and it goes back. It takes you through their career. And yeah. in every episode of Unsung, it's they got got by the music industry, 
right? Mm-hmm. I grew yeah. up, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, right? So <laughs> a place called Orchard Park. Uh-huh. My neighbors was New Edition. What? Uh, That's yeah. crazy. Those are my first inspiration. Those are my brothers. I love them to uh, death. I remember them having the number one song in the world, Candy Girl, mm-hmm. and the tour bus dropping them back off in the projects. Wow. wow. Hold on, this don't make... I'll make no sense. You shouldn't be here. After you get, after you get, after you have a hit song like that, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be dropped off in the projects anytime soon. Absolutely. So it's, we as black people don't, don't have the appropriate education because I told someone this and it kind of blew their mind. I was like, the problem with us is we'll know where we come from. We'll know who we are. Right. If any public school education, you look in the history book, you learn about five black people. That's true. Exactly. Follow what I'm saying? So now that kid, that black kid has an inferiority complex about himself, Mm -hmm. right? Because in his mind, he's saying like, yo, only five people that look like me made positive contributions to America. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, his adversary is saying, well, the other 295 people in this book made contributions. So I'm better than you. My race is better than you because we've done more than you. And so they have a superiority complex. Both of them leave that classroom miseducated. Neither one of them had the right to feel that way. You follow what I'm saying? They tell you about the five black people you know about it, Jackie Robinson, Rosa Parks. Um, They don't even tell you the truth about Rosa. They just say she was a tired old lady who was a senior. Rosa Parks was 42 years old when she was on that bus. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But they just make it look like she was some pitiful old lady. Exactly. Too tired to get up and da-da-da. So you have no inspiration behind that. The thing about HBCUs is, you're really taught your history, mm-hmm. right? And once you understand your history, you're well-versed for the world that you got to go live in. You mm-hmm. follow what I'm saying? Because it's, it's real out there. And just understanding your history, you just know the dynamics. You know how to prosper off of your ability. Yeah. Like, Black people invented rock and roll. If we were at a club and I played a rock and roll song, they will clear the floor. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Listen to this. But you invented it. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Like black yeah. people invented rock and roll. It's just other people come in, other races come in and profit off of our culture. And they've done that for so long, whether it's rock mm-hmm. and roll, blues, jazz, hip hop, basketball, football, mm-hmm. music. Like it's, it's just, right. it goes on and on and on and on. I was like, why can't we profit off that? That's us. That's with the talent, with the flow. Whatever we say is hot, it's hot. Mm-hmm. If Gucci is, <laughs> is, is what they are because we wear it. You follow what I'm saying? Like all of these beverages that these rappers talk about in, in songs, those beverages prospered because they mentioned, Jay might have mentioned it. Exactly. In the exactly. You follow what I'm saying? So whenever uh-huh. we realize that we're the flow, now we can monetize our talent and we will be treated with a different respect whenever we have group economics amongst each other. And that's the purpose of the black college, right? And so I say all of that to tie it back into the fact that HBCU is nothing but a black business mm-hmm. that needs to yeah. be patronized and supported. Right. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? And yep. so these kids, I had an issue because now they were going and selecting schools that arenas was named after men who would have spat in their grandfather's face. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or called them a boy or slapped mm-hmm. his mom or, or had German Shepherd sick. I'm like, yo, mm-hmm. y'all, right. can y'all go make this this person win? So what I said this summer, I really had an issue at the time because these young black men were dying in the street and nobody was saying anything. And I'm like, I'm looking right. at my white counterparts like, yo, where y'all at? Exactly. <laughs> like, all of y'all, you can feed your grandkids kids kids because of people that look like George Floyd running this football up and down this field for you or shooting this basketball for you. Now you ain't gonna say nothing on it. Y'all get real quiet mm-hmm. when they losing their life in the street. And so when I said it, it became like a snowball effect where everybody dropping a statement and that made it even worse because now everybody checking, cherry picking a Martin Luther King quote. And I'm like, you hated him too, you killed him too. You follow what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's the teacher in me and it's the understanding and the educator in me that I know as people we can do so much better because we have the ability to maximize and and solidify our talent unlike anybody else and we got to stop letting people invade our culture and and profiting off of us and then we complain about it and want their respect they're never going to respect us in that regard you know what I'm saying so our kids 
our black athletes, we need to go back to HBCUs. And, you know, if you're a one and done athlete, you're a one and done athlete. It don't matter where you go. That's exactly, exactly. What That's I exactly said. yeah. If you if you that hot, you gonna get your Zion, whether yeah, he went to whether, yeah, exactly. Central, he was still he was going to was, was going first overall either way it went. Trust me, I, I had John Wall grew up three doors down from me. John Wall was a pro when he was thirteen. John mm. Wall could have went to culinary school for five months. He was going. to <laughs> It's just that simple. Nobody made John, you know. I love Cal. That's my man, but nobody made John Wall, exactly. right? But if he goes to an HBCU, then guess what happens? The cameras and the TV and exactly. that's what and now you enhance that program and when the money comes now you enhance the facilities and when you enhance the campus then now you enhance the nursing program and you enhance the, uh, the, the the lawyer and the doctor program and the criminal justice program and that's what it is most engineers most black engineers in this in this world come from HBCUs most black yeah. lawyers come from HBCUs yeah, back in the day all our heroes came from HBCUs very good Marshall Martin right. Luther King Spike Lee they were all our heroes. So we have to understand that we're good enough. You don't need a Fendi belt or a Gucci belt. Or <laughs> like, it's beautiful that I, I see people wearing their version of their clothing line. Let's patronize those businesses. Exactly. And, you know, it's a long-winded answer. I know we. I kind of went left. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, you're totally fine. But that's what it is. Like, that's my thinking of it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Because we, we're never going to be respected and we're never going to get ourselves together unless we have group economics so Dion specifically obviously Dion, he's been going after the top recruits he's been flipping guys um from the sec flipping guys from the acc getting them to commit to jackson state and um sometimes the narrative around hbcus is that they don't go after the top recruits so everybody is like in awe of Dion because he just came in he said he want dogs and he going right after it What's your opinion? Because I've talked to a couple of, um, like we were talking to Jimmy Smith. Um, he went to Jackson State and he was saying they didn't even recruit his son and he was a Jackson State legend. Um, they didn't even recruit his son and he was trying to get his son to go to Jackson State and they didn't even bother to try to recruit him because they just assumed he wouldn't want to go there. So what's your opinion on like these HBCU recruiters going after the top talent? You, you know what? Like, I understand it from every perspective that's being said. And I just think there's a, if we're being honest, there's a distrust there, mm -hmm. right? Because see in basketball and most of the time in football, and this is what I mean, like we have the power. Like it's, it's just really that simple. We have the power. That the presidential elect, he's in that office right now, is gonna be in that office because of black. All right. They said that's a it. fact. Yeah, they know it. So what, what happens is, and, and let me let y'all in on a secret, and th this is just being as real as I can possibly be. Um, we have major, we have major problems at the administration level with black people being in those positions, whether it's presidents, athletic directors, mm -hmm. decision makers, coaches, right? All that will change, right? If right. all the AU coaches, because all those kids you saw get drafted last night, mm. right? All the black kids, guess who kind of handles their recruitment and all of this? This is their guy. Black, black, black coaches. Yeah. Like AU coaches. So yep. if all the black AU coaches said, listen here, this the deal. We go to the final four. We need to see more black faces and more black representation. None of this is gonna happen until y'all hire. I'm not sending any one of my kids to a school if they don't have a black coach or a black AD. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Instantly, everything will change. Right. Sure. But what happens is sometimes the business of basketball and football is a little corrupt, as you already seen in the news and so on and so forth. So it's, it's some wrongdoings that's going on under the table. Mm. And so a lot of times these kids are pushed to other schools because someone is benefiting under the table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To protect themselves, they say, well, Central ain't even recruit him. Mm -hmm. No, because right. Central heard what it takes to get him and Central don't play that game, right? right? Exactly. You push him to wherever you want to push him to and then try to blame it on us and use us as the fall guy. That's, the, that's one of the realities. Yeah. The, se the second reality is, I just think there's a distrust between the coaches of the, the the players and the coaches at the university. 
And, and what I mean by that is we, we just need to, to be together and work on one common accord right. for us to say, this kid can come here and achieve the same thing. You follow? Because the, yeah. the, and it goes back to this. You're going to make this dude rich. You're pushing this kid there to make this coach rich. And right. it's the craziest thing to, to see. And I'm not mad at that. But again, it goes back where everything has to change because we don't want to waste our time because obviously we don't have the finances. And, and let me tell you this, those same dudes that's, cons- that, that's saying, well, black HBCUs ain't, ain't recruiting my child. You know what they done? They reached out to Carolina and Duke and all those schools to say, man, y'all need to look at my child. Well, why don't yeah, you exactly. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. You follow what I'm saying? Yep. Like, so you're, you're doing the same thing but you're blaming us. We need to go track your dude down when you done called Roy and Coach K and said, look, y'all, y'all got to look at him. He's an ACC player, da, 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 da. So you're not even marketing or promoting that kid to us. And I hate that because it makes yeah. us look like we're missing and we're lazy and, you know, we ain't doing our job when, when in reality we are doing our job. It's just we're getting so much resistance and so many signs to say you don't even want to deal with us. And so we spend our time, energy, and effort, and money, and resources on the people that want to come here, right? Like exactly. if, if I want to date somebody, they ain't going, I can go try to holler at Beyonce, but I don't <laughs> know. I don't know if she's going to turn my call. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of money it takes to go get Beyonce out there. You know what I'm saying? And like that's a whole nother animal out there. Right. But, Keisha over here, she giving me the conversation. <laughs> I like her. Keisha said, you know what? I like you too. So I need to focus my energy and effort on Keisha instead of chasing this pipe dream and Beyonce. You know Keisha what I'm saying? She only wants some flowers instead of a five-star restaurant. That's it. That's it. You know, Keisha, I take Keisha. Keisha, Keisha appreciate the finer things in life. And if me and her get in the argument, let me say Bridget, because Bridget is my wife. I don't know where I got Keisha from. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh well, not in these three sides. <laughs> Man, we ain't gonna get you in trouble. Yeah, me and my wife get in an argument. I can go to Walgreens and get a car, a Hallmark car, and mark the price on the back out and say, "Baby, I'm sorry." That don't work with Beyonce. You got to fly her to Dubai if you get in an argument. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's completely different, man. And so I just get tired of us being the fall guy of under the table motives of these other people. You follow what I'm saying? And when they get mm-hmm. called out, well, they ain't even recruit my son. If you want us to recruit your son, call us and knock on our doorstep because you call and text and beg us about everything else, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us that we got a five-star recruit that you want to put us on the phone with. So, Lavelle, you talking about, you know, the, the, the teachings and, you know, everything. You've been, you know, a mentor to these guys. And obviously these guys have, you know, bought in because you've been so successful at your program. So, you know, just talk to us about as a coach who's been so dominant, in the conference, you know, you see a lot of teams leaving the the MEAC. And how, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about all these teams leaving the MEAC, the MEAC conference, you know, as a guy who's been so dominant? And how do you feel about that? I think I saw it coming a couple of years ago. And more, more so than ever with this COVID, I really saw it coming. Because mm. our conference, if you look at it, it – the demographic just goes from in geog- geographically it goes from Florida all the way up to Delaware. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's a yeah. that's a broad landscape exactly. um, to, to really cover. And honestly, it made a little more sense financially and geographically for the southern schools to, to go to another southern southern conference like a mm. the SWAC. Like it financially it just made sense yeah. in the midst of all of this COVID and things like that. So with the new conference alignment that's going on across the world mm-hmm. and you couple that with COVID, for me, anything is to be expected. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like people are just, just trying to do whatever they can do. All businesses, not just HBCUs or MEAC schools, all businesses are doing any and everything they can just to stay afloat. I just saw ESPN laid off thousands yeah, of people. Mm-hmm. Like Nike laid off. These are Nike, ESPN, like, you know, so you know it's going to trickle down. And it's affecting everyone's pockets. And, you know, they got to make the best decisions for themselves. So at the end of the day, I kind of understand. I kind of respect it. And and for my thing, it's like, yo, who am I to judge? But I do think it's going to take some um, 
you know, some creative minds on our end within the MEAC to say, okay, what, what are the next steps? Where, where does this look? Because the reality is the ideal part is you want all of these teams to remain in the conference, but the reality is that's not going to be the play. And the, and the second reality is we don't know how long this COVID thing is going to continue. I agree. You know, exactly. Like it's not, you know, we just talked before we, we went live with Atlanta and, you know. Like, <laughs> Why you got to single out our city? I love Atlanta. That's my spot. Man. I love y'all down there, for real. But, you know, people, everybody we violent right now. You know what I'm saying? Everybody got to do what they got to do before, you know, this thing continues because I don't even know if we had to, at the initial steps of this COVID thing right now. You know what I'm saying? So right. it's, it's, it's tough. So do you see yourself, obviously you a man of many ambitions and now you're talking about business moves. Do you see yourself retiring at Central? Or you see yourself, you know, Tom Brady, we all yeah. never, nobody thought he was going to lead the Patriots <laughs> and late in his career, you know, he made a big shift. So anything is possible now these days in sports. Or even if, to, just to follow up on that, could you see yourself, you know, not only go maybe, whether it's a uh, move to a different school, could you see yourself want to potentially become you know, an AD or president of a dude, because, you know, not only, like you said, you're not, you were a teacher first and not just a coach. So could you see yourself um, trying to make that, make that move as well? You know, every time. <laughs> <laughs> when they start scratching the chin, yeah. that's how you know they ain't trying to answer. They like, dang, they got me with this one. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm always going to shoot you straight. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is, I would like for people to think, like when people look at my life and they, my story, I get like, yo, you smart, bro. Like, I see you, you was a step ahead. And it's never that, right? Like it, it's, it's really, God has ordered my steps and I just kind of follow it. Yeah. And when I feel something, I feel it in my gut and I can't explain it. Right. Um, and I've always been that way when I made decisions for myself, I get like these chills and these goosebumps. And it's almost like, you know how like when you're young and, and the older people always say, the Lord told me not to do that. And you're like, right. he told you what? You know what I'm Lord like, told you that. Yeah, I don't be here. But now I never, I always listen to my gut, my intuition. Yeah. People always think, that that's just appointed to women, but my intuition to me is like listening to God's whispers, right? And so when I tried to do it on my own, it didn't work. But when I just listened to him and let him lead the way, it just got me to these positions. And so I'll never do anything for money, right? Because I learned what true happiness Didn't is. Didn't you say we gotta take advantage of all the coins we can make? Yeah, 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 you do. <laughs> no, no doubt about it, but you gotta do it with integrity. I was just playing. I was just playing. <laughs> you, you do, you do got to do that, but you got to do it for integrity. I've seen so many dudes just make that move, mm -hmm. and that they, they left one's position. And I, I got one coach in mind. I'm not gonna call him out. He had a, he had virtually a lifetime deal. Mm -hmm. Right. He left that place, right, where his culture worked for him at that place, and then right. he went higher. And now every every year they talking about they're gonna fire. Yeah. Yeah, you know sure. what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. so now you don't get to go back. Like this business is yeah. infested waters. And right. like this, there's no pension plan. <laughs> you, know, you gotta understand, I grew up around drug dealers, so I'm like forever, you you know like quick and easy money, that right. don't work for me. I, I'm right. just no. do a whole other thing. So I'm like, I'm gonna stay stable because this door is always revolving. ADs are changing, presidents are changing. Right. And so it ain't about me and where I can go coach at. And plus I got young kids, right? Mm -hmm. So my kids are seven and 11, mm -hmm. right? So I don't want to get them up and migrate them. And I had NBA opportunities. I probably turned down three jobs in the NBA to be assistant coach. Mm -hmm. And the reason was because my kids are so young and I don't want to put them in a position yeah, they gotta adjust, and you know, because it's way right. too hard for them. So eventually, that's a long-winded answer to say, "Can I feel it? I'll, I'll feel it." And I'm not gonna say I'll be here or there forever because God always laughs when I try to plan that out for myself. And real quick, just a few more for you, uh, Lavelle. We appreciate the time and the great answers. Um, so I just want to talk about real quick how you've, you know, 
um, you were a part of the um, USA men. You were um, part of that coaching staff. Um, you led them to a FIBA under-19 gold medal and back in 2019. What was it like? And, you know, not only what you took from them, but what were you able to give to those, you know, up-and-coming players, those young players, you know, obviously, you know, talking about how you've been a great teacher and a mentor throughout your career. What were you able to give to them? And what were you able – what nuggets were you able to lay in their head as they moved up in their careers um, during that during that time for you? Um, it was a blessing to be the first HBCU to, the coach to ever be a part of the USA basketball circuit, right? Yeah. That's, that's much bigger than me. Oh, but yeah. when I took that job, I was scared because I was like, if we lose, they're going to blame it on me. <laughs> <laughs> that was the insecurity. So I just went in there like, look, uh-uh. So from the time we were selecting, like, these are the best of the best people. Right. Right. Maybe five, six kids got drafted last night. Mm-hmm. And the other six on the team is going to get, they're going to be lottery picks next year. Exactly. Right. And, and some of the kids that didn't even go that was going to play on the team, you know, the James Wiseman and Ant-Man, Ant was number one pick, Cole Anthony. They just elected not to play that year. So it was so much talent. Right. But I didn't know all these kids personally going in. So when I went in there, I was like, you got to prove to me. I don't care what you've done on your little mixtapes. I ain't got time to listen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm here for this week. Show me all this mixtape stuff and, and let the best man win. And that's how I selected. So I came in there with the clear view. I wasn't jaded. I wasn't right. biased because I had never seen any of these kids right. for a long period of time. And then when I coached them, again, I was so scared and I was insecure <laughs> because I thought they would blame it on me if we lost that I just coached them the same way I coached my team at North Carolina Central. Exactly. And at the end of the day, those kids respected that. And at first they're like, damn, coach going hard on us. Then they're like, <laughs> I respect that, right? Because they come from environments where people are scared to coach them because they might transfer or they might mm-hmm. go to another right. school or another AAU team. Right. I, I ain't care where you went. Matter of fact, I don't care if we ever talk again. But after this month, I need a gold medal. And you ain't never got to call me again. I ain't got to call <laughs> coach. I ain't here to be your friend. And and so we, I, I coached them hard every single day, man, for everything. You know what I'm saying? Because I ain't know what I was ultimately getting into. I just wanted to win the gold medal and, you know, have that bond. And when we did it, Man, them dudes call me every single day. Coach, I love man. Da, da, da. So it's, <laughs> it's what it is because they respect it. And all great players want to be coached and they want to get better. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's the thing about it. You know, like you said, they respect it because you didn't look at them as some trophy all-star type of player. You looked at them as a regular kid who wanted to get better and you treated them as such. And, you know, guys respect that when you when you see them for who they are and see them just as a regular person, a basketball player who wants to get better. So, no, not I mean, a definitely. basketball player. Oh, well, not a basketball player, a person, a person. Excuse me, excuse me. So they they respect that you saw that in them. So, Coach, I got I got one last for you. This one's just kind of real lighthearted one. How did you feel about uh being mic'd up the uh not a while, while back ago during practice? You you have the sense of yourself? You have to hold your tongue. You know, some some of these coaches you a little color in their language when when they when you know and during look, practice. Do you, you have the sense of yourself at all? Look, like I'll be the first one to tell you. Um, I'm a spiritual man, but I ain't all the way there. God's still working on me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if you throw this ball away or something go wrong, like, God is still working on me with that. That's but I, I just, it's lighthearted, and I do it every single year because it's it's part of the the culture now. Like, everybody wants to see all assets or assets granted or behind the scenes because social right. media kind of like invites you directly and indirectly into these people's lives. You know what I'm saying? And they ain't really come from that area. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. But yeah. I, I I do it. And you know what's crazy? After five minutes, after two minutes, after five seconds for me, I forget the mic is on. Right, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, I got it. You know. <laughs> I, 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 I honestly forget because, you know, once you start coaching, you just start. Right. You just start coaching. Yeah, you follow it's natural. Yeah, it's just, it's just natural. And who I am, I just think that's the beauty. I try to be as I don't show off on no cameras. Like what you see is what they what you get every single day. And every person that's ever played for me, even in middle school since 2001, would tell you, like, yo, this man is the same every single day. The stories yeah. are the same. The, like he gonna joke, he gonna talk your language, he gonna 
use these analogies to kind of make it work or whatever, whatever. We're gonna laugh, we're gonna joke, but for those two hours, he's gonna push the hell out of you and we're gonna get better. That's awesome. All right, coach. Well, lastly, before we get you out of here, is there anything you know we gotta let you promote? We gotta plug, you got anything you wanna plug? We you know you got the Bells Care. Yeah, you selling hoodies, the Bell Care Foundation. Like what's going on with the merch? I I need to. I, I need to start. Um my man, he gave me a couple of um sweatshirts to to like to see what's up and, and see. And I, I've been getting a lot of inquiries That's on market. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so I've been getting a lot of inquiries on them, man. So you know what? I'm going to put them up for sale. I'm going to start putting them up for sale. As soon as I hang up with y'all, I'm going to call him and say like, yo, man, organize this, put it on the website. I don't want nothing to do with it. Just make sure people there can go, go there, you know, purchase them and everything. And I, I think it's dope. Oh yeah, though it's a dope design. Obviously, you know, not just about the design, but what you're, you know, what you're doing with the foundational organization. That's the that's the biggest thing about it. So we can't we can't thank you enough for the time. You dropped some great nuggets, some great knowledge. We thank you so much for what you're doing and what you have been doing, not only as a coach, but as a person, teacher, a mentor, literally everything that you're doing out here is great. And then we'd love to see you inspiring, you know, not only the youth, but you know, obviously. African American youth as well, and you know, getting them on the right path. And like you said, we need we need people in our corner. So to have a guy like you in our corner is, is thank you, man. Thank you for reaching out. Um, you know, normally during the year I, I cut it off. I cut off all interviews like in August, but when y'all reached out, I was like, no, nah, I got to do that. Like that's what <laughs> yeah. we appreciate. We appreciate that. About man, you know, for for me, you know, it's just like we have to be able to put people on. You know what I'm saying? Right. And. We got to use our platform to uplift somebody else. And that's what I'm learning now because that ain't really within our culture. We keep the plug to ourselves. We don't want to tell nobody. We want to, <laughs> you know, society has taught us that it's just one carrot and whoever gets this carrot, everybody else ain't nothing. You know what I'm right. saying? I was like, nah, like I got a spotlight young people coming up because we needed that. You know what I'm saying? And yes, sir. OG and Uncle Vale and all this, these self-appointed titles, then that's part of it, man. So I appreciate what y'all doing. And anytime y'all need me for anything, man, feel free to reach out. I, I love it. This is a, a beautiful thing. And, you know, God bless you. And I hope it goes through the roof and through the ceiling for you. Thank right, you. Thank appreciate you so it. Much. All right. All you right. don't work too hard this season, all right? Got to y'all stay y'all stay safe down there. Stay out them album release parties <laughs> without the man. Well, we go, we go, we go, we gonna stay safe. We are gonna stay out of the all white parties for a little while. Right. <laughs> <laughs>